great to be with you. It's, it's wonderful to be with you. And I, I know this is still a little bit strange and a little bit weird, but the fact that we can be together is a brilliant thing. So uh, thank you for, for being here this morning, and I really trust that you're going to be encouraged by what I have to share. Um, as you know, we're going through Mark, and we are already on part 36. That means we've done 36 weeks of looking at the Gospel of Mark. And uh, one of the big pictures of Mark's Gospel is to try and help us understand who Jesus is. And part of the story of Mark's Gospel is that the disciples fail to see who Jesus is repeatedly. And uh, it's part of their, their struggle is to try and understand who He is, what He, what he means when He says he's, he's the Messiah, what that looks like, and their expectations are so much different uh, than who Jesus is really has come to be and what he's come to show through his life. And so we're going to look at another portion this morning in Mark chapter 10. It's going to come up up on the screen. And I've chosen this title for for this message this morning. Without a cross, there can never be a crown. Without a cross, there can never be a crown. And I'm going to try and apply this to our lives as well as we look to serve Jesus through our lives. Um, And this is what it says in verse 10. It says, They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, and those that followed him were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other on your left hand in glory. You don't know what you are asking, (laughs) Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I I'm going to drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, this really is an incredible passage. And just to remember the context Uh, Jesus is traveling, and along the way, he's giving more teaching to his disciples. And I had a look at the one subject a couple of weeks ago on divorce that he speaks through with his disciples. And last week, Clive looked at uh, what he has to say about wealth and also about the attitude that we should all have as to come as children into his kingdom. And now, Jesus is about to enter the last scene of his life. He is irrevocably and definitely moving towards Jerusalem and to the death that awaits him there. And remember, Mark has taken time to set out the stages of this journey quite clearly. Remember, first he withdrew north uh, to the area around Caesarea Philippi, and there were a whole lot of things that happened there. And then he moved south briefly to Galilee. And after this, he went to Judea and the hill country beyond the Jordan River. And now he's come back and he's on the final stage on the road to Jerusalem. And these verses are interesting because they tell us something about Mark, the writer. They tell us something about Jesus, and they tell us something about Simon, about uh, uh, James and John as well. So the, the first thing I'd like to say is this. Um, do you notice in the first verse it says that Jesus was leading the way? 
He was leading the way. Um, he was ahead of his disciples, and he seemed to be walking ahead of them alone. And so it says after that in verse 32, it says some of them were astonished and some of them were afraid. And I was thinking a little bit about what that possibly might mean. And perhaps they were so conscious of what Jesus said was going to happen to him that they were afraid to join him as he walked ahead of them. That's a possibility. Uh, it also might show us that there are certain decisions that only can be taken alone. Um, remember, Jesus had already tried a couple of times to tell his disciples what was going to happen, and their response had been to try and stop him to go to Jerusalem. And so possibly Jesus felt this was a decision he could only uh, demonstrate alone, walking ahead of them, and at the same time he must have known the comfort of his Father as he walked towards the destiny of the cross. And so it is for you, and it's, so it is, it is for me in our lives. Sometimes there are decisions that only we can make for our lives. And we know they're going to cost us something. And we feel like we're alone when we make them. And no one understands why we are doing them. But it's for the sake of the call that God has for our lives that we make those decisions. And yet, as we walk ahead with Him, we know the comfort of the Father. We know the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And we know the comfort of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you in terms of your own life as you, as you sometimes have to make difficult decisions. Maybe it's around a, a, a relationship that needs to be reconciled. Maybe it's around a, a business decision. Maybe it's a, around some issue in your marriage that you know is going to be difficult, but you know you have to make the right decision that you make it. Knowing that the Father is with you, the Son is with you, and that Jesus is walking with you. Uh, so we see something about Jesus in terms of the leadership that he shows in the situation. But secondly, do you notice the courage of Jesus? He had already said to his disciples three times what was going to happen to him. And each time he expresses what's going to happen to him, the details become more and more clear. And they become more horrific as he describes what's going to happen to him. In Mark chapter 8 verse 1, he announces for the first time about his coming death. And then in chapter 9, in verse 31, he says, actually, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. He gives a little bit more detail. And now here, in verse 34, he says he will be mocked, spat upon, flogged, killed, handed over to the Gentiles. And it seems to me that as Jesus goes forward, it becomes more and more clear to him of what the price is going to be to buy redemption for all of us. And it becomes more and more clear in his mind and more horrific. And he begins to contemplate, as he contemplates that, he begins to communicate it more clearly to his disciples. Shows me there are two kinds of courage. Um, I grew up by the, 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 the beach uh, in a, a, Durban called Durban. I used to, a city called Durban. I used to do a lot of water sport when I was young. And um, the courage of lifesavers always used to uh, amaze me that men and now increasingly men and women would, would risk their lives instinctively to go into the surf, into the ocean and rescue someone. It was incredible bravery that people demonstrate. And I'm sure you can think of other things in your life where you've seen someone demonstrate a spontaneous, incredible bravery to rescue someone or to save someone from some impending situation of, of doom. And they do it, people do it instinctively. Often they don't have time to think about it. And that's incredible courage, the, the, the courage of the battlefield, for example. But there's a second kind of courage as well. And do you notice that Jesus demonstrates that here? 
It's when you can see something approaching you from far ahead and you know it's going to be incredibly painful and difficult and you could sidestep it, you could walk away from it, you can make decisions so that you wouldn't have to go through that thing and yet you choose to walk towards what you know is going to be incredibly painful and difficult. That takes incredible courage. And I believe it's a higher kind of courage to be able to live like that. Deliberately facing the future, knowing that it's going to take an extraordinary act on your part to overcome it. So I want to encourage you with that as we face an uncertain, uncertain future, all of us. We still don't know how this is all going to work out. I was speaking before the meeting and saying, um, uh, it was to you, wasn't it? Yes. That, um, you know, in March we wouldn't have thought that we would be here in July, would we? <laughs> how many thought of us would be sitting like this? But here we are, and we don't know what the future is going is to entail, but let's approach it with bravery. Let's approach it with faith. Let's approach it with courage, knowing that God is with us. We don't want to be stupid in any way, but the Holy Spirit is with us. He's walking with us. He's the comforter. He's the one who provides courage when we most need it, and we can overcome as we go forward together. Amen? Don't let fear grip your heart. Let the faith in Jesus that you have help you navigate your life. Thirdly, these verses show us something incredibly uh, about the, uh, the personal magnetism of Jesus. It's, it's remarkable to me that at this stage the disciples still don't really know who Jesus is and what's going on. They're kind of convinced that he's Messiah. They're also equally sure that he's going to die because he said it three times now, but they can't put those two things together. They don't seem to reconcile in their minds how that's going to work out. They couldn't put those two things together. And yet, in spite of their uncertainty, in spite of the fact that they don't know what's going on, they still choose to follow Jesus. I find that incredibly amazing. That's remarkable. The future was uncertain. It was dark. They weren't quite sure how it was going to work out, except for one thing. They loved Jesus and they wanted to follow him, and they followed him even though the future seemed uncertain, and they didn't know what was going to happen. They couldn't leave Jesus behind. And they had learned in this process, they were learning a very basic lesson that every one of us as disciples of Jesus needs to learn ourselves. Sometimes we are forced to, com we, are, we are compelled to accept what we can't yet fully see or understand as we follow Jesus. How many of you know that's true for your lives? You're not quite sure what the future is or what it's going to look like or how it's going to work out, yet there's a compulsion in you that you have to follow Jesus because you love him and you know that he's good and that you know that the Father is good and he's going to work your life out. And so you put all your eggs in one basket and you say, Jesus, in spite of all that I see right now, I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. And I'm trusting you that it's going to work out. Well, that's what they were learning. Didn't quite know, yet they knew they could completely trust him because he was a good father. And Jesus was who he said he was. And then the narrative quickly turns to uh, this amazing declaration by James and John. Uh, I'll, I'll read it again in verse 35. It says, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, said Jesus. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized 
with the baptism I am baptized with. We can, they answered. And then Jesus responds to that. You see, it's very interesting to me because this passage tells us something about Mark as well. Remember Mark writing here? Um, because in Matthew, there's an account of this very same thing in Matthew, uh, in chapter 20 of Matthew, in verse 20. And in his version of the events, Matthew says, it wasn't James and John who actually made this declaration. It was their mum. It was Salome. And it seems to me, uh, maybe I'm not being kind here, but it seems to me that Matthew is a little bit embarrassed to admit that the apostles would even do something like this. And so he tries to blame their mum. Says, actually, no, it wasn't them really. It was an ambitious mother. You know, just wanted her sons to do well. You know, and so she, she said to Jesus, I oh, know, please make, make special, take special care of my sons. Uh, Luke, on the other hand, just admits the whole, he doesn't even mention the story in his gospel. It's like he's completely embarrassed to even mention it. He just, no, it didn't even happen. You see, Mark, Mark is really, really honest. He wants to show the disciples. What's and all, just how they are, ordinary men and women, and that Jesus took ordinary people with all mixed ambition and uh, unholy motives, and he, through those people, set out to change the world, and he did. I love what Mark shows us. And it's just ordinary people like you and me that God uses with all of our lives that are slightly still mixed up and we don't always have the purest intentions in our hearts when we do things. And yet God still uses us to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You can say amen. Right? <laughs> cool. Um, and then tells us about James and John. What does it tell us about James and John? <laughs> it tells us they were really ambitious men, weren't they? And they've still got this thing in their hearts that Jesus is going to come in power and establish a political kingdom. And so they are aiming at the political positions at the right hand, at the left hand. That means they want to be the, the main men. They want to be the ministers of state in this new political kingdom that they think Jesus is going to bring. Maybe their ambition was fueled because on more than one occasion, Jesus made them part of his inner circle. Peter, James, and John were always the three that were closest to Jesus. Maybe it was because they were a little bit better off financially than everybody else, that they thought their financial position entitled them to be the closest of Jesus' friends. Well, how do I know that? Well, because in Mark chapter 1, verse 20, it says that their father was rich enough to employ servants. So they obviously were economically a little bit higher than the fishermen, the rest of the disciples. And so maybe they thought their social position entitled them to special privilege. But whatever the motive is, it shows that they were ambitious in their hearts for political power, for, for, for an earthly kind of um, elevation of their position. And secondly, it shows us this about um, uh, James and John. They, they still had completely failed to understand anything about Jesus' mission and who he was. And what I find so incredible about the story is not that it happened, but the timing of what happened. Don't you find that incredible? Jesus has just said to them, this is going to happen to me. I'm going to be flogged, killed, spat upon, and killed by the Gentiles. And at the very moment he says that, they come to him and say, oh, by the way, Jesus, 
uh, we just want to be on the right and your left hand and right hand when you come in glory. I mean, it's completely lacking in any kind of um, awareness of what Jesus has said on the one hand and their own awareness of themselves, wouldn't you say? It's completely lacking anything of that at all. And so they just didn't get what Jesus was saying to them. And so the only thing that was going to demonstrate what Jesus meant about Messiahship and that his kingdom was not like this kingdom, kingdoms that we have on earth, the only thing that was going to demonstrate that now, more than his words, was the cross. And so he willingly embraces and moves forward to the cross. And then I would like to say one positive thing about James and John, because I've said two negative things. And the positive thing I want to say about James and John is this, that they still believed. They still believed in Jesus, you know? They still knew that there was some kind of glory coming for this Galilean carpenter that they had been following. They knew that in spite of the fact that he'd been bitterly opposed by the religious leaders, that he was heading for his death, they knew that glory was upon his life. And they, they recognized that. They said in their words, there's something of glory that this man is, is going to enjoy, and we want to be part of the glory that is going to come in this man's kingdom. And so it, show, it shows, in a, in a very basic way, incredible confidence, incredible loyalty, and as misguided as it might have been, it shows that in the basic way their heart was in the right place. They had got a whole lot of things wrong, but their heart was in the right place, and they never doubted in Jesus' eventual triumph and that his kingdom eventually would come. And the last thing I want to say, and I'm conscious that I'm running out of time, is that this passage also tells us about Jesus' greatness in an extraordinary way. Um, and there are two little metaphors that I want to mention here that Jesus um, uses that are really important. He uses two Jewish metaphors in one sentence. And he says, can you drink the cup or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So the cup at royal banquets was handed by the king to the guests and the cup in Jewish um, tradition became a metaphor for what God gave you in your life. So that's why in Psalm 23 verse 5, the psalmist says, My cup overflows, meaning speaking of the blessings of their life that God had poured out, just like the king gave them a cup and, the, and, the, and, and the, it was so full that it overflowed. The idea is God has so blessed my life that my cup overflows. Yeah? So you get the, the basic metaphor. Or if there's another example in, in Psalm 75, verse 8, in, it's used in another way where the psalmist says, the, the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices that he pours out, and all the wicked of the earth will drink it down to its very dregs. And so there it's used as an image of uh, destruction that awaits wicked, wicked people. They're going to drink down to the dregs of the cup God's um, punishment. And for example, thirdly, Isaiah in Isaiah 51, 17 describes disasters that are going to come upon the people of Israel. And he says, he uses this image, he says, they have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You have drained it to its dregs, the goblet that makes people stagger. So the cup is a metaphor that speaks about the experience that God gives to men and women through their lives. And, and the second image that Jesus uses is this word baptism. And uh, 
the Greek baptismen, I can never say it, baptismenos, yeah? The Greeks, that's it, baptismenos. It means a couple of things. It can mean to dip or submerge. And so it's used regularly throughout Scripture to, to, to talk about being submerged in any experience. So, for example, someone can be described as being submerged in debt, baptisminos, in debt, or in alcohol, a drunkard, submerged in drink, or for some, someone who's absolutely overcome with sorrow, the word can be used, baptisminos, to describe that they are baptized into suffering, in sorrow. And so the idea here. Uh, is that Jesus is connecting these, these, these two, um, two uh, thoughts, and it has nothing to do with technical baptism. It's got nothing to do with being baptized into water. What he's saying is, can you go through, he's asking his disciples, the terrible bapti- baptism of the experience that I'm going to go through? Can, can you drink this allotted portion that God has given me, can you drink the suffering that I'm going to have to suffer? He's using those two images and putting them together, and he's asking that of his disciples. And what he's really saying to his disciples is, you want the glory? You want the crown? It doesn't come without the cross. It doesn't come without what I'm going through. You can't have the glory without the cross. You can't have the crown without the cross. And so it is for you and I in our lives. Sometimes we have glory that we, we want to enjoy and we know that God has promised. And, so, and yet at the same time, we have to walk through something of our lives and we're not quite sure how it's going to work out. And there's lots, sometimes there's suffering along the way that we don't yet see. That's part of the package so that the glory comes. And so... The standard of greatness in the kingdom is the standard of the cross so that we can enjoy the glory that God has for us. And it's, it's interesting to me because Jesus really, you know, the, the, James and John, they respond naively and, and, and in, in a way sort of spontaneously. Yes, Jesus, we can, we can, we, we can do whatever this takes. And actually, they're prophesying of their own future and they don't know it. And Jesus does. And he says, actually, yes, you will suffer. You don't know it yet, but you will. And you will suffer for my name. And John was beheaded by Herod Agrippa. We know that from Acts 12, 2. We know also that John, um, uh, uh, sorry, James. James was uh, beheaded by Herod. John, through his life, suffered much. We think he died in Ephesus and he was uh, buried in Pat- on the Isle of Patmos. But they certainly suffered with, through their lives, with their lives, for the call that God had for them. And so when they respond and say, yes, Lord, we can do it, Jesus says, yes, you don't know yet, but actually this is coming for your life. But through your life, my life, uh, my, your, your life, I will be glorified. And so to conclude, my friends, Jesus says at the end, he says, ultimately I can't decide who's on my right and my left, but that's not my 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 role to say that. It's only the Father's role. So ultimately, Jesus' life, his life was submitted right to the end, one long act of submission so that the will of his Father could come through his life. And I want to just encourage you with that. That as we live our lives and we submit our lives to the Father, the kind, loving Father that has a future and a destiny for each of us, we don't need to know 
all the detail of what's going to happen along the way. We can trust in His sovereign hand. We can trust that if there's suffering, He will take us through the suffering. We can trust that if there's glory coming, we will reach the glory that He has for our lives, through our lives, as we live it for Him. We can trust Him completely because He is good. And we don't yet need to fully understand all the details because He's committed to working out His will for your life and my life. And so faith is exactly that. Faith is trusting with all of our hearts that He is good and kind and He knows what is good for us and He will take us through whatever comes because of His great love for us. And He will get us to fulfill His will for our lives even when we can't see how it's going to work out. That's faith. That's what it means to walk by faith. And I want to encourage you for your life, whatever your call is, whatever your ministry is, that you would put your your trust, continue to put your trust in a good Father who loves you, in, in His Son who loves you, and is in His Holy Spirit who wants to guide you every step of, your, of the way so that you can achieve what He has and the destiny that He has for you. Amen. And He's committed to doing that for every one of us. So I trust that you're encouraged this morning. And I trust that you would leave this place full of energy and hope and joy knowing that you're on the palm of his hands and that he has you exactly where he wants you so that he can fulfill his plan for your life. Amen. Do you want to say something before we close? And brought, uh, this was in one of my devotions this morning, uh, this week, which is 2, 1 Peter 5. Um, and uh, these wonderful words of cast all your burdens on the Lord for he cares for you and um, then it goes on in verse 10 it says but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a little while perfect establish strengthen and settle you and uh, there's just such wisdom in, in Peter's words. You know, we, we all go through times of testing. And I know that many of you have struggled in different ways through this lockdown. And, there's, and all, our, all our suffering is different for each person. But the, the, it's only for a little while. Um, and I just felt God wanted to say, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling like, where is the end? Um, it says in, in the word, it says, after you've suffered a little while, there's a season to everything and not everything is forever. And when you come through that time of testing, God himself will strengthen you. He will perfect you. And that means to mature you through that suffering. And he will strengthen and he'll settle you. And uh, I, so I just wanted to pray for, for us as a church family that we would know that wonderful process of God through the little while of suffering that we might be in or might be coming through. So Father God, uh, we thank you that you do care for us. Thank you that we can cast every burden onto you, whether it is a big thing or a small thing. Uh, everything that concerns our lives concerns you because you love us as a good father. And uh, Father, I pray for each person here and for our friends who are at home. 
Lord, we want to ask that whatever trials we may be going through, whatever things might be difficult in our lives at this time, whatever cup we might be having to drink as and preached, Lord, we can thank you that you will bring us through because you are faithful. And I ask, Lord, that you would do that maturing, that perfecting. I pray that you would do that strengthening in the inner being of each person. I pray that you would confirm them in the calling on their lives and you would settle them in your goodness towards them. So I ask this this morning, Lord, that you would strengthen our hearts and help us to endure all things because we know that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.